welcome to the Mother Earth Heroes Show podcast. We are here with the Chief Well-Being Officer of Brain Boost, Tijip Tan, and I welcome to the show. Hi, Nicolette. Hi, Hi everybody. Thanks for having me. So, maybe you can shorten, because before we dive deep into the brain of activists and people out there who want to change the world, Maybe you could shortly introduce yourself and um, why, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, talking to you, the well-being of all the people out there. So maybe you give us a short intro to you. <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> so um, my name is Yip, as mentioned already. I'm of Vietnamese descendant, born to a refugee, a boat refugee family from Vietnam that left um, the country after the war. And what is very special is my father has actually never gone back to his home country for the past 40 years. And I grew up in the rural areas of Germany, so I was integrated very well. Then I went to study business because I met, I, I think during my high school years, I heard about Mohammed Yunus, who won the uh, Nobel Peace Prize for the idea of microfinancing and how to use capitalism basically as a tool to lift people out of poverty which was kind of a new thinking to me so I started to study business and then I went to India and assessed microfinance, a microfinance organization and then I realized oh I don't believe that microfinance can lift people out of poverty we need structural change we actually need bigger companies who can employ um, people who can create job opportunities and who can develop into innovation and education. So something like a bit of a more large-scale structure. So I went back to school and I worked a little bit in diploma diplomacy circles to understand better the policy makers. But I also figured this is not my cup of tea because people were, from my experience, just talking, not doing anything. So I went into entrepreneurship and I interned at a VC fund in Germany called Rocket Internet. Learned a little bit about business development and how to you know, scale companies from scratch. And I realized also this is actually not what my heart is beating for. <laughs> so I went to a corporate, worked for Allianz. I wanted to do microinsurance, but I ended up never working for microinsurance to optimize sales channels. And then I went to McKinsey because I thought, okay, <laughs> I want to work with corporate or governmental leaders um, with short project times. I wanted to see results in a short period of time and get like you know things done and so forth. So I stayed there for four years. And after a while, I realized I've learned quite a lot. But... I'm waking up every Monday, super early, maybe 5 a.m. in the morning to catch my first flight or train to the client's side and I'm going to work for 60 hours or something a week. And I was wondering, am I actually using my precious lifetime for the good cause, like for the right cause, for something that is meaningful to me? And I realized, well, at some parts, yes, but a lot of time was um, me doing things for other people for clients whose work I didn't really care about. So I was like, okay, I need a cut. And I stopped the job without having another job. Actually, all I knew was, 
hey, I have a passion that I discovered during my MBA, which is mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And I was thinking, I need to understand better what are the opportunities in this field. And so I stopped, went to a coaching course full time. And then I joined a company, this company called Brainly, that does neurotechnology. So for me, this was the cool pathway to combine my passion for mindfulness and understanding the mental health side of, of human beings. And with something that is technological that quantifies certain indicators that people would call esoteric or something if you only work with the people from the mindfulness space. So that is about me and because I love innovation and pioneering stuff and so on, I created this role called Chief Wellbeing Officer. I think this is why you actually invited me. But let me take a break now and <laughs> give the word back to you. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting because um, I think this, this part of neuroscience adds to this mix of well-being, the thing what you really are seeking for, right? Which is this, that there is a result in the end there because, as you said, it's quantified. So before we started this podcast, um, we went a little bit into what you think um, is important and what you are spending your time with. And you actually said it's a little bit bigger than uh, well-being, right? Or it's like this whole thing around well-being, which is systems. Yeah. So um, when we're talking about systems, um, we, we have a lot of people out there at the moment. They feel really, really stressed mm -hmm. from the system they're living in, you mm -hmm. know, but as well how they feel about the system they're living in, especially regarding climate change. We're seeing more and more that there is going around this like that people really freak out about it you know it's 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 really it's really so they 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 really feel so connected to the world or connected to what is happening that they that they cannot hold these emotions anymore mm -hmm. and uh, what do you think from a system and from a well-being view mm -hmm. um, about that and have you found or in some ways or some some methodological I think one of my major understandings, actually, is <laughs> in the work. It's, it's like, what is it that you understand or you stand under? Okay, so that's the concept of what is my guiding light that, that gives me energy, but that also resources me. So well-being has two components, right? One is the being. And being is easier said than done. I mean, being is also a skill that one can cultivate. How can you be in the present moment, not with your mind ahead in the future or in the past, worrying about like, things that are not relevant anymore or things that are not relevant, uh, relevant in the present moment? Just a very visual example is this January, I think in Germany we had, at least in Munich, there was a day that was super warm, maybe 17 degrees or something Celsius. And then people would start to freak out because they would say, hey, this is climate change and so on and so forth. And yes, that is true for one part, right? But still, that shouldn't prevent us from going outside 
and enjoying the sun because there's nothing else we can do in this very present moment. So I, I think speaking about stress, so the being is basically understanding mm, how to be in the present moment and let go of my attachment to worries, anxiety, fears, and so on. They all have their space, but it will not be helpful for me to resource or you know, to align myself to a bigger cause that I understand. And let me just, how can I say this in a way that makes sense? When we, when we kind of are stressed, the stress is basically our own reaction to something. You cannot really shield yourself from external stress that is external factors that come to you in the system. But what you can very much control, I mean, in the short term, right? In the long term, obviously, you can decide to move outside of the city or like, uh, don't live in Shanghai or somewhere where, where you have very bad air pollution and so on. But in the short term, there's certain things that are fixed that you cannot change from the external environment, from the infrastructure. But there's always something you can change, which is, which is your response to a stressor. What I mean by that is, for example, you get a trigger, somebody's yelling at you, speaking very loud. If you are very mindful and in the present moment, you can actually realize how your body is reacting to it. And when you are not completely stressed already because your internal energy resources are depleted, you can actually decide to take a step back to watch what's happening inside you, give that kind of emotions a space to happen, and then you decide how you want to react to that stressor, right? And, and this is something you can train. And obviously, there are some certain natural or physical limitations to it. When you're tired, you would be more reactive to certain triggers. Whereas when you're hungry, <laughs> I tell you something and you get more annoyed. But so you can decide, okay, one, don't put yourself into that situation of being hungry, but that you cannot control all the time because sometimes there's no restaurant or there's no food. But then the second thing is knowing that about yourself. You can actually decide, okay, now Yip will tell me something, the probability that <laughs> I will be very annoyed by what she says is very high. So I would just take a step back. I would breathe maybe, breathe out, calm myself down, give it a space, two seconds before I react in whatever way. And that alone can help a lot with coping with stress, anxiety, and so on, keep a calm head, and then make conscious decisions of what I want to do, how do I want to spend my energy to react to things. And, and that, like, you know, this is just a small step, but you do it a hundred times a day in every interaction, and all of a sudden it sums up. And then you have enough energy left to think strategically about the more important topics in life rather than lose all your energies to, you know, unnecessary, irrelevant external stressors. So, listening to your history as well and what you, what you wanted to move in the world, um, for, for me it seems like we always wanted to take on big challenges. You know, like there were always Things we are trying to move, at least that's what it yeah. sounded like, right? Yeah. And 
And then I wonder how it is now in the world. You maybe know, like, what needs to be moved in this situation? What made you so excited about it? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I read a, a, a poem once by this Sufi poet called Rumi. And I'm not 100% sure that I remember it now rightly, but in some way he said, when I was young, I wanted to change the world. Now I'm wise and I want to change myself. And I think it took me a, a little bit of time, <laughs> and I'm not that old yet, <laughs> to really understand the deeper meaning of that. And this, the moment, you know, I changed myself, I actually changed others around me too. The moment I become happy with who I am and understand that, okay, I cannot, and this is my personal, you know, experience, not only belief, but I experienced that, is um, when I come to peace with myself, I don't act, when I don't act out of a, a sense of inadequacy, insufficiency, that I'm not good enough for whatever, with regards to whatever thing, when I'm at can be at peace with myself, my own best friend, basically, I can act out of a, a zone of joy. Because I know whatever I'm doing, I'm already being the best version of myself that I can be in this very moment. And basically, it's not that easy to be happy with yourself in every single moment. That is my own practice or my own daily practice that I do. I try to be friendly to myself, I listen to myself, so when you told me earlier, yeah, you have these kinds of dates with yourself, right, they are important for me, I do that in the morning because I'm just a morning person, I wake up very early, I have one and a half hours of just listening to myself, I do with different practices that I've learned over the years, like, you know, dancing and um, writing the journal and sitting meditation, but you could do anything else, drawing, some people draw, I write poems, and I just listen to what comes out of me. And that is actually a key skill because I befriend myself. I'm as good a friend to myself as I am with others. And by doing so, I'm relaxed with myself and I don't have this pressure to prove anything to anybody. And I don't act out of fear. Now we come back to neuroscience maybe. When you kind of act out of fear maybe position because you feel like if you're not working um, good enough the world will go down or whatever I think it's just a very it's a position of hubris like you know even if you're not doing the best yet you can't stop the world from going the way it does irrespective of the direction it's going but when you're paralyzing yourself right when you're fearful you're paralyzing yourself and what happens is the limbic our you know evolutionary the limbic emotional system will take over and you cannot think clearly anymore. It will, will override your cognitive prefrontal activities in the brain. So you shouldn't basically be, be acting out of a place of fear when you want to create sustainable, beautiful solutions that you know, help us create a better world because when you are in a space of illness, mental illness, you will not create healthy products. And from what space do you do you act from? Like where? How does your counterpart of uh, acting out of okay, the world is going down, and I have to work all day, all night to do anything? Uh, like, wh 
what is your space in the European Parliament? Well, what we do in our company is basically look at the brain functionality. Um, so we have neurotechnology, it's called neurofeedback, that was developed more than 50 years ago to place sensors. They are not stimulating, they are just reducing signals from the brain, different parts of the brain that are responsible for different kind of activities. And it's like a mirror. So basically you give people the opportunity to interact, to first just observe their brain and then interact with it and try to see if they can increase certain activities that would be associated with a more relaxed state of mind or certain activities that would be more like in a, um, associated with a focused state of mind and so on. So that is what we do and what we do so by going into corporates or into universities, giving keynote speeches, holding workshops where we book people to the EEG and they can try to work with this neuroreactive real-time feedback their brains basically it's maybe like saying you need to give people a mask so they can become authentic and understand what is their true identity before they give away the mask again and you know understand this is my true self mm -hmm. this is how i like to be with it's a bit like a, an extra step but sometimes we humans we are so complex <laughs> <laughs> we, we we need that and from a maybe more philosophical point of view Mindfulness in, in French comes from the word la pleine conscience. And I like to see it as the, the full consciousness. The consciousness or consent, cons, conscienza in Italian or conspira in Latin means with the sciences, with the knowledge. So you go basically hand in hand. Mindfulness is basically, or the consciousness thing, working when you understand both, in my point of view, the science part, but also the philosophy part the practice part. So it's when you speak about systems thinking that you mentioned earlier, I think we need more than thinking. I call it the systems reflection process because you need the thinking, but also the meta thinking, the thinking about the thinking and the integration of emotional awareness. And we know also from science, from, from neuro um, science research that we actually rely on our emotions, on our very basic emotions to make decisions. When we kind of just think we're only using, you know, part of our total intelligence, we're neglecting the emotional intelligence. And this drives us into a situation of stress and, and being emotionally stressed and overwhelmed. And then you have all these kinds of negative consequences that we see today in today's world. So we were making decisions out of the mind and out, not out of the, or not together with the heart, is that what you were saying before? When we have complex decisions, yeah. basically we need to be aligned with our gut feeling, basically our mm -hmm. emotions and our rational thinking, because our rational thinking is not very fast. Yeah, but data is, right? Like we um, decide or big corporates decide and I want to challenge that because I think it's such an important thing uh, to, to find a way how to bring gut feeling into this data decisions. Like, um, I, I don't know if you're in this field with good strategies as well, mm -hmm. but let's imagine you are a, you have a corporate, you have a, you have a big company and mm -hmm. your data tells you to go in a certain direction. But your gut feeling and where you want to go with the company is another direction. 
Yes, we since in particular in, in the Western school system, German school system, since enlightenment, we have very much given emphasis to rational topics, right? We trained our IQ, basically. All the school topics, the school subjects that you see in school, they're all geared towards training IQ. We don't have a single subject that trains EQ because it was never necessary. For the past 250 years, basically, the world was very linear. That's why we had the Taylor-Vers uh, management models and so on, because things were not complex. But then there was digitization and globalization. Things were connected. Things get very, very um, complex. And then we have increasingly also the speed. So we cannot rely anymore on only one part of the intelligence. So speaking about data, I see, <laughs> I see it as a three-part process. First, you have data. That is, to me, just like noise when you don't know how to make information out of it. So you first have to categorize, basically, the different clustering. You sort them into some categories. But when information becomes an insight, and we need insights, not data, to make management decisions, is when you basically understand how these different pieces of information fit together to what you are trying to achieve. So you can basically contextualize this information and you can see the different connections it has. So basically we don't need more data, we have an overload of data. We need more information and we need more insights. And this insights part is something I think is what good leadership is about to understand basically how to put this piece of information that I get from different people into a context that is aligned with my vision, my strategy, my team management. And what you basically need for that is a, a good calmness basically of the mind. So you need to be, and now I go back into what we see at Brainbeat, you cannot be in a stress mode all the time because when you, the more stress you have basically, the higher frequency your brain um, produces. And we know that basically the focus gets more narrow with increase in frequency. But you wanna, when you want to be strategic, um, decision-making, innovation, disruption, you need to be in a bit more associative, loose kind of um, mental state in order to see and think outside the box. Otherwise, you have very narrow focus and you can execute. Yeah, you don't make a lot of errors, but is that what you need to do innovation? Mm -hmm. Probably not. That's so interesting because in the podcast we are talking a lot about like not only we as an as a individual being stressed, but the whole system just on an individual level, what, what that means, but as well on a societal, on a 
or is can there be something implemented on a, on a, on a, on a bigger scope which helps interesting question in my way of seeing the world and I think it's important when you speak to people in general to understand what are their underlying hypotheses of how they see the world so that's why I <laughs> make it very explicit of how I see the world and it's that a drop of water is the universe so if you understand the one single I don't know how you call it smallest unit you understand and how that is being created and interacts with others you basically understand the entire cosmos basically and i have not studied organizations and societies but i have worked in a fair number of organizations during my time at mckinsey i think you basically do need infrastructure to facilitate change with infrastructure, I mean, you need dedicated time slots where people can learn certain skills that are needed to cope with this increasing complexity that you just talked about. And somebody needs to create these structures because you need a certain scale. It's like an investment, and this brings me back to my microfinance um, experience in India because everybody got a little loan, every woman in the little villages that they interacted in, and then everybody started to buy a cow because that was easy, and then they produced milk, and then they sold it at some local market. But after a while, because more and more people produced milk and there was more demand, uh, more supply than demand, you know, the price went down, so you know, they, it, didn't, it was not very efficient. So somebody would have needed to build up you know, a, a, a milk exchange but each of them did not have enough money to, to do that. So they would have needed to put the money together, but that would still not be sufficient. So you need some kind of investment into infrastructure. And, and that is something on societal level, I guess, or even an organizational level you would need to do. And it's the same as on individual level. You need to create a space for yourself to relax, to give your brain a break. Uh, and in an organizational context, you need to create a space for people to drop their worries, to come together, listen to each other, get you know, coaching, coaching advice, or uh, not coaching advice, I hope a coach never gives you advice because coaches should only listen to you, but give a support system for people to go and let go of their emotions and to, to learn about themselves and build the character, as you mentioned earlier. And on societal level. Actually, that would be education systems, right? And I even would go as far as to say coaching is a human right. And we should actually invest into the skill of coaching each other. So we don't need to go to the doctors to, you know, listen to us. We know that so many people feel isolated and then they go to the hospital just because that's the only place where people care about them and then that leads to bottlenecks in supply right <laughs> so it, it's kind of a, a an infrastructure problem so it's again a platform and ecosystem problem talking to a well-being officer yeah. who is into complex systems are there moments where it's systems are just way over you, like a big wave of like 
what's happening here, you know, like, because I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed by yes. the steps of your life. Yes. And uh, how do you, how do you handle that? I mean, when, when you are, uh, you, you spend, or you spend a lot of time studying mindfulness and, and well-being, but on the other hand, complex systems are seem like on the other side of, uh, of, of some, of, of well-being and, I love this question because now I can cite Gerald Hüther, who is right. the German neurobiologist, and he speaks about understanding, <laughs> basically, is when something goes from the head, just thinking, through your body into your feet. That is when you understand. <laughs> and so coming back to complexity and how it overwhelms you, um, when you practice the mindfulness, actually, the mind is actually the most, like, in my point of view, the most complex system to study. And that's what we do in the practice of mindfulness. We observe our mind and what's happening inside it while we get triggers from external or from in internal and um, outside of our emotions. And then we observe how do we react to it? Do we attach to it or can we let go of it? So when I transfer this to the overwhelming complexity, actually, I don't know if that is now so applicable to people who do not <laughs> practice the mindfulness, but when I just stop and I just observe myself, observe my mind, look around, like basically see that things are just as they are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in these moments, I basically create peace with myself and I actually enjoy being mm -hmm. in the present moment because even, you know, I breathe out and I know that when I breathe out, I give food to the trees around me. Okay? And they produce something, they give me fresh oxygen for me to, to live. So we are kind of all one. And now this might, might, might sound counterintuitive. I had these problems all the time that I was feeling that I don't understand the entire topic when I was in McKinsey because I tried to solve problems intellectually. But so now coming back, intellect alone will not suffice. I need to learn how to feel what my body tells me about it. And most likely the body will just tell you, go take a break, life is good, you know. I have everything, I have all the conditions to be happy for now. Let me get a break, enjoy, ground myself on the earth again and then with some more calm and ease, have a fresh view on this perspective again, on this problem that I want to solve again. And also knowing that, you know, don't take the entire burden of solving the world's problem by yourself. There's so many people around, everybody's doing their little share of contributing to a different world and we need to have trust that we cannot and it's maybe also a part of mindfulness practice, not to be greedy, to have control of over everything. That is actually also what um, cybernetics is saying about complexity. You cannot command it anymore. And this is also old style of leadership. 
you let the system self-regulate and you do your best at the same time. The best you can do in that moment, you let go of the rest. <laughs> it's so interesting because it, it sounds so simple but not easy. <laughs> it's a practice. That's why mindfulness is a practice of letting go of all these, like, you know, things that are for the moment not relevant. Listen, listen to the other person, listen to myself, enjoy the peaceful condition we have here, even if it's maybe only for now. And when we step outside, we can see all these, you know, social problems and climate problems and so on. But we need to build this kind of inner peace. And one of the people I followed, like their teachings, um, Thich Nhat Hanh, he says, find the island within yourself mm -hmm. so that you can go there and take refuge in it. Resource yourself and be ready to, to attend the world's problem with a fresh mind and at your best version. Yeah. We have a, a little friend in uh, Mother Teresa's show and he says always, and I really love that, it really helped me, everything is easy, everything is easy. <laughs> <laughs> myself sometimes as a little ant like you know <laughs> on the earth and so many ants that have gone before me and are, are coming after me and mm -hmm. we are the ant colony and we bring little pieces of I don't know breadcrumbs to to our home <laughs> basically we're building the, the future together mm -hmm. so nobody really is really alone if, if they can you know be with themselves so you're never actually really alone <laughs> and how do you think does does that look like in let let's call let's let's call new world you know like how will it look like in a in a world which is not better because I don't like this bad or worse but is different than today and more beneficial for us as humanity like what would you wish what is your utopia maybe while you are doing all of these things is it something like within you for you your surrounding or is it We have a vision to make mental health as important or relevant to the awareness of our society as physical health. Right? You know, 20 years ago, nobody went for a run, and now everybody, like almost all the people, know that running is good for your health. So we have this kind of running gag inside the company where we say, we brush our teeth two times a day, at least like two to three minutes. Why don't we take the time to brush our brains in the way we brush our teeth? So that is what Philip Haider, like the co-founder of BrainLink, has said. And for me personally, I think, actually not I think, <laughs> and not I feel, I contemplate. And my answer is, 
that I can only be my best version of myself and be happy with that. And what I try to do is every day around 3 to 4 p.m., I just ask my uh, p.m. Yeah, in the afternoon, I just ask myself this question. If I were to die tonight, did I have a good life? And I ask this every day. So basically, when the answer is no, I can ask myself, okay, what is it that I can still do today, like under given conditions, to say I had a good life? And then, because I do it every day, you kind of get closer to what you think is a good life. And this sounds maybe super weird, but I think by doing this practice every day, I kind of lost my fear of death. And I wouldn't say, because I'm healthy and so on, obviously this sounds very simple to say, I, I am not scared of dying anymore, but I feel like I've aligned my daily activities to something that feels meaningful to me. And when I look back on my life, I can say I did all the things I wanted to do or I felt like I was called to do in this life. And so this makes me a very joyful person. And I can easily like, you know, let go tonight and think, okay, worst case, I'm running in front of the car, I have done what I think was important to me. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful ending here. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you a lot for your time and for the for, for all the information that I see and I listen to the interview. So do you want to end our session with something uh, yeah, something concrete? Well this was for you, but I can read it and share with the entire yeah, audience it would too. Be cool. What is it? It's a poem I wrote. Oh, oh <laughs> that is an amazing ending. All right, let's do it. It's Lean back, guys, and listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've never read it out loud. Wow. But I've given it to people. It's <laughs> called Ocean of Understanding. And it's about my way of seeing interbeing, interconnectedness. So it sounds like something I already know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, if mankind were an ocean of understanding, what would we understand? If each being were a drop in the ocean, what would each of us contribute? In nature, the difference between you and I is what separates the ocean from the sky. The difference between the apple and the tree is what separates its mother from its father. The apple that sweetens your lips is the apple that broke free from the tree. There is no apple that falls from the sky unless we understand, understand the sky and the tree. The tree is home to the apple. It carries the flowers that grew from its seed. The sky is home to the apple. It carries the clouds that watered its seed. The ocean is home to the apple. It carries the rivers that watered its seed. The apple is home to the tree, for it is the seed from which it broke free. The apple is home to the sky, for it carries the shadows of the clouds. The apple is home to the ocean, for it carries the salt from our hands. As long as there is sun and there are clouds, the river is the apple, is the tree. A drop of water is the universe, for the ocean can't be whole without us. We, the ocean of understanding, understand the sky that is we. So yeah.